listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. We're going to do something a little different in this series than anything I've done since I've been here. So this is going on, uh, well, I came in 20, uh, 2008, so I think this is going on my 12th year, and so we've been here a little while. Most of the time, what I do is uh, I try to think, okay, Lord, what is it that you're wanting me to communicate to your people? And the way I was trained was to start in a, in a book of the Bible and just teach the book. Just teach what the scripture has to say and then apply it to our life depending on what the scripture says in that particular book. It's a great way of of knowing what's coming next week. It's a great way to keep me out of hot water so that as, as folks are sharing things that are personal with them and if I preach on something that maybe we've talked about, you can't say that, well, you're preaching to me and because I told you. No, it just happens to be what's in 1 Corinthians. So it keeps me safe and it keeps us on point, and it also just lets God's word speak for itself. But there are times when sometimes we just got to look at what's going on around us and say, how do we respond and how do we react to things that are happening around us? How are we supposed to represent Jesus in this world? Pastor Kevin, I appreciate you preaching First Samuel, and it's been very helpful in Second Samuel, and those of you who are around know that that was about two years of our lives in First and Second Samuel. And it was relevant, and it was helpful, and it teaches us what God's Word has to say. But I know there are many times where you're probably thinking, but you know what I'd really love for you to do? I'd really love for you to talk about what my co-worker's been talking to everybody about, and I just don't really know how to respond. So over the next few weeks, we're going to enter into some, some uncharted waters for me. Because this is not normally how I like to approach what I do. I like to just go, hey, here's what God's word has to say, and, and then we apply it. In this series, we're going to go, okay, this is happening around us. How do we respond to it? So it's going to be a little bit different for me. It's going to be a little bit different for you. In these topics that we're going to talk about, I'm in the process of wrestling myself. So I don't want you to think for one second that I've got all the answers. I believe there are answers to be had to the questions that we, that we ask. Maybe not to our satisfaction, but there are answers. And while we discuss these things and I share with you what I see from God's word, I just want you to know that it's very appropriate when we're done for you to be able over the course of the next week or the next few months or the next few years to go, hey, can we keep talking about what, I want to ask you something. And you know what we'll do? We'll carry on a conversation. And, And if what we share this morning doesn't meet the need that you have, doesn't answer the question that you got, well, we'll keep looking. Because that's what we do as well. We don't have all the answers. We know there are answers to be had. We just got to dig for them. So through this series, I'm going to introduce some things to you. And then I'm going to ask, how do we respond in this world as followers of Jesus? How do we talk about these things in the arenas that we live in? 
Today, we're going to start this series, let's talk about it, on the subject of violence. Violence. But I want you to listen to a few things. And I want you to, I want you to contemplate how many times you have heard these, how many times you may have said these. Two long lists. Here we go. Big shot. On a hit list. Shell shot. Hit the bullseye. Gun shy. Standoff. Triggered. Shotgun wedding. Troubleshooter. Son of a gun. Going postal. We have a shot. Pull the trigger. Shoot for the moon. Hot shot. You call the shots. Target audience. Right on target. Smoking gun. Blew me away. She's a pistol. Dodged a bullet. Went ballistic. Shoot from the hip. I I like that one. Shoot from the hip. It's a long shot. Gave it my best shot. Lock, stock, and barrel. Trigger happy. Don't jump the gun. Stick to your guns. Sure shot. Under fire. Shoot for the top. Wrong end of the barrel. Straight shooter. He's the big gun. Take a shot in the dark. Bite the bullet. Who's riding shotgun? Blew his brains out. Blown to smithereens. Explosive personality. Arm like a cannon. Big, uh, bring out the big guns. Shoot down an argument. Fire away. Got flack over that. Outgunned. Shoot for gold. Ammunition for my argument. Shot it from every angle. We killed them. Shoot me an email. Looking down the barrel of a gun. It's a blast. Bombed it. Nuke them. Nuclear option. I'll cover you. Bombarded. This is a landmine. Get fired up. I'll kill you. Aim to kill. Fire when ready. Straight shot to the city. Got you in the crosshairs. Ducking cover. Rapid fire questions. Knock them dead. Plan of attack. Don't shoot the messenger. Took pot shots. Fry him. No magic bullets. Shotgun approach. Take a knife to a gunfight. More bang for your buck. Young gun. Bombs away. Loose cannon. I got ambushed. Overshot the driveway. Shoot yourself in the foot. I'm shot. Got a good shot at it. Open season. Our plans blew up. He blew up. Shooting gallery, killing time. My foot is killing me, dead or alive. Stand your ground, blow this joint. How many of those do we say on a regular basis? You you know what this tells me? It tells me that, first of all, we live in a world categorized by violence. We live in a world where violence is all around us, even in our just just the the words that we just say without even thinking, filled, consumed with violence. Weather events, you think about hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, lightning, wind, violent. Natural disasters, fires, wrecks, crashes, all violent. War, army against army, bullet against bullet, missile, tank against tank, plane against plane. Genocide, army against civilian. 
You know, we have a a violent history in our world and some of the most violent genocides, the Holocaust, three million Jews plus exterminated. The Ukrainian starvation when the Soviet Union wiped out 10% of Ukraine's population. The Polish genocide leading up to the Holocaust where over 17% of the Polish population exterminated. The Cambodian genocide under the leader Pol Pot, where 10 to 33% of the population of Cambodia exterminated. Shootings, stabbings, rape, muggings, riot, all happening constantly. I follow an app on my phone. It's from, uh, it's from a news outlet. And I get these little breaking news stories And I have it set on just Polk County. This is just this morning. Polk County, uh, Polk County's tie to women of death row. Polk County deputy fires on 53-year-old man. Florida officer has to open fire on a subject in Walmart. 30 suspected drug leaders arrested during Florida's Operation Deal Break. Murder suspect linked to rape in Wachula. I could go on and on. This app sends me notifications all the time, all day long. I'm constantly clearing that, hoping that it's not saying gunfight on any street that I happen to be on is what I'm really following this about. We live in a violent world. Even those involved in law enforcement see it all the time. Violence, they're in violence. They have to be violent. We live in a violent world. Traumatic injuries like we had just this past week. Even childbirth, ladies, you would classify as pretty violent. Sports, entertainment, everywhere we turn, we're inundated with violence. We live in a world characterized by violence. But you know what else? We have a Bible that is filled with violence. The scripture, if you begin reading, you'll you'll discover, especially if you start making note of every violent account that happens in the scripture, your mind will be blown by all of the violence you see in the scripture. It starts out with violence. Following the sin of Adam and Eve, what does God have to do? He provides skins for them to cover their nakedness. And within just a few verses, we find Cain taking the life of his brother Abel. Within a few chapters, we hear about the world being consumed with violence and God determining to destroy it by a Violent weather event, flood. We see the sacrificial system at best while providing temporary covering for sin. At best is violent, the taking of these animals' lives. The law, the plagues in Egypt, violent judgment, and the, 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 the final plague, the taking of those that had no blood on the doorpost, violent The conquest of Canaan under the leadership of Joshua. Violent. Wars and warriors and scriptural heroes like David. Violent.
silent. In fact, not even allowed to build God's temple because of the amount of violent blood that he had on his hands as a warrior of God's choosing. The captivities of Israel from Assyria taking them away, from Babylon taking them away, violent. You go to the New Testament, violence is never more in the crosshairs of our vision than in the crucifixion where violence comes to a head and brings its best on the sinless, sacrificial lamb of God. The martyrs in early church history, beginning with Stephen, who was stoned, and the apostles, many of which died violent deaths. The early century Christians who were put in the Colosseum to face wild animals and gladiators. Violence, violence in the scripture and around it. We see violence in history in the name of God. You think about the medieval times as, as soldiers from, from Christianized Europe went to take back the Holy Land from those who had control over. And it was violent from one end to the next in the name of God. We see violence in the holy wars between Protestant and Catholics in the medieval times as well. We see the Inquisition where, where supposed heretics and those that were called witches were taken and tortured to bring them to confession of their her- violence in the name of God everywhere we turn. We won't like to hear it, but in the colonial expansion of our nation, characterized by violence. Scripture tells us about violence and we experience in our history. But here's what we need to recognize. Violence is a result of the fall. It is a result of sin and it was never God's intention. The first lesson that we can learn as it applies to the violence that we see around us, even the violence we see in Scripture, even when God is commanding his armies to go to war. We've got to remember that violence was never God's intention, but rather the consequence of sin. Now here's something I'll put you on. I'll put you on something to hunt that we won't have time to explore today. But here's the thing. How do you, how, how do you reconcile this this God that we see in the Old Testament that, it, that seems to be a God of war and Jesus who seems to be the God of peace. There's a lot of books have been written about that. That's wrestle. And you know where I find myself? I find myself wrestling to understand. If that's you, then I can put you on some information and some trails that you can follow that might help you as you wrestle. The thing we've got to recognize is God is not the author of violence. Sin is is the author of violence. And we got to understand that God's use of violence, while we might not understand it, we might not be able to comprehend it, God's exercise of, of things that will be violent is always just, and it is a, an extension of his holiness. It's an, an extension of his righteous judgment. 
So when we see God doing and commanding things that are violent while it's not his intention, it is the consequence of sin, God's exercises are always just and are always connected to his holiness. You say, explain that, I can't. I just know that God is holy, meaning he never sins, he never does wrong. The human exercise of violence, however, me against you, you against me, can either be just when it is an extension of God's authority. If you're writing down things, I'll ask you to write down Romans chapter 13. In Romans chapter number 13, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, informs us that God established governments to do what governments do in order to keep the peace of people who are violent. Unfortunately, sometimes they have to get violent to keep the peace of those who are consumed with violence. So there are times when violence is an an extension of God's authority. And even that, if you'd like to wrestle I can put you on some books that will help you wrestle with how that even works. Or human exercise of violence can be unjust. It's the result of a human's will. I'll give you an example. What looked to be a just exercise of violence that actually was just the extension of human will. Matthew chapter 26 verse 52. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. And those that have come to gather him and to take him away. And Judas who's come to betray him. And they come to Jesus and they begin to arrest him. Matthew 26 tells us that one of the disciples reached and grabbed a sword. And struck at the high priest's ear. Now, if anyone needed protect, if anyone was worthy of protection, wouldn't it be? the sinless son of God. Yet what did Jesus turn and look to his disciple and say? He said, put that away. If you live by the sword, Jesus said, you will die by the sword. Unjust exercise of violence. Why? What was Jesus, what was he called? The prince of peace. Human exercise of violence. When I determine that what you need is me to exercise force, then I'm tiptoeing in the arena of unjust violence, even as a follower of Jesus. We live in a world characterized by violence. We have a Bible that is filled with violence. Here's the one that's going to... You remember last week I told you that that these sermons were going to have a frustration guarantee? I guarantee you're going to get frustrated because either I'm not going to say everything you want me to say or I'm going to challenge the way you think that may not be the most Christ-like and biblical. You ready? So here it is. Here's where you start getting mad at me, but that's okay. I love you. We live in a nation that was birthed from violence and that survives through might. Now, is is that wrong? No. Our nation's history was birthed out of 
No, you won't tax me without my representation. There's the line. Here's your paperwork. Can you see my name big enough? We live in a nation that was birthed and survives through violence and might. We are a people, and just hold on with me, okay? Because I love America. I love the red, white, and blue. I love Lee Greenwood, and I'll stand up and sing whenever he sings. But just follow me. We are a people celebrated by the words of Patrick Henry. If you know them, say them with me. Give me or give me. See? We're celebrated as a people that say, I'll be free or I'll be dead. Now, we're not here to talk about whether or not freedom is important. We could talk about whether or not national freedom is what Christ guaranteed us. Because there's a lot of people in this world who are just as spiritually free as we are, yet don't enjoy the cultural freedoms that we do. But we won't go down that road. Think about these. In the nation that we live in, manifest destiny was a a slogan given to, to the notion that we should expand west as a nation. Because we're outgrowing the eastern seaboard, we need to go west. There's land west. Folks have been out there, said there's a bunch of land out there. Yes, there's some folks that are out there living on that land, but they don't even wear clothes. So surely they don't know what to do with all this. So let's go west and let's settle. If you do an honest study of manifest destiny you will discover that there were occasions when our nation purchased some property and like a used car salesman deal, Louisiana purchase was done. Hey, well, there's much more property that just kind of became ours because we got bullets. We got armies. If we're going to be honest... We're a nation of violence. That's a part of our history. It's a part of how we think. Think about the fictional heroes that men like Lee and others have have drawn and we're celebrating in the cinemas today. What are they? They are superheroes. How are they able to defend those who are less able to defend themselves through Power and might and violence because sometimes it's necessary to protect those who can't protect themselves. Oh, here's, here, here's where. What about our rights? What about those things that we say, I will have this right or you will have to take me down. 
one of the biggest hot button issues in our culture right now is an amendment to our Constitution. The second one to be specific. Now, in case you're wondering, I support the Second Amendment as a citizen of this country. I do. I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with Stedman Christian having a pistol. I'm fine with Stedman because you know what? I trust Stedman would want. I think you ought to have one if you want one. That's fine with me. But the memes floating around Facebook right now with the primary races out there and particular candidates saying that it would be in our best interest not to have things that maybe we have right now. Here are the memes that are floating around. You ready? By Christians. Slogans like, come and get it. Y'all might not know what that means. That, that might mean you might try to take what's mine, but you're not going to take it. Well, what does that mean? That means if I have to, I'm going to defend my right violently. If that makes you mad, you just have to be mad. That's the truth. We are a people who have grown to celebrate violence. No, we're not trying to push ourselves on in. We're just trying to protect. We're just trying to be good citizens. We're just trying to be good protectors of freedoms around the world. Whatever it takes. Violence. Our cowboy culture, even our Western cowboy American justice system violent we live in a violent world we have a violence filled scripture we come from a violent birth nation we continue to be free because of strength and might but guys when we come into our circles of influence If we're followers of Jesus Christ, then we need to recognize that we follow a Savior who calls us to love, compassion, peace, humility, and self-controlled. Let's think about this. The Jews expected a Messiah because when the Jews were taken into captivity under, under Assyria, the northern kingdoms of Israel were taken captive. Like they were overrun by uh, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and they were taken captive and they never came back from captivity. Like they never were released. What Assyria did was just assimilate them into their culture and let some of them go back if they wanted to after they married Assyrian people. So the northern tribes of Israel never experienced a comeback to Israel. The southern kingdoms, however, did. They got captured by Babylon And they got ripped from their homeland, temple destroyed, many of their folks killed by the strength of the nation of Babylon, but then they were allowed to come back. They were allowed to come back, but under the authority of still captors. And and they never had been out from under their authority. It went from Babylon, it went to the Medes and Persians, uh, to the Greeks, and then it went to the Romans. And so they were constantly under oppression. 
So when they heard this crazed dude out in the Jordan or in, in the Judean desert talking about repentance because the kingdom of God was at hand and be baptized in the name of repentance, they were excited because they thought our Messiah is coming. The one that God promised, the one who is going to come and lead our armies in defeat of opposition. It's on now. We've got a Messiah coming. Yes, finally, our might is going to outdo their might. And we're going to be back on top where we belong. That was their expectation. Jesus, however came as something entirely different, a lowly, meek, gentle lamb to be sacrificed by those oppressors in the most violent of ways so that he might institute a new way of peace. So Jesus comes on the scene And he begins to say things to his followers that must trump, see what I did there? That must trump, that's next week, that's politics. That must trump anything that we bring to the table. What do we bring to the table? We bring all of our American baggage the way we think, the way we operate, as we have learned to do it as American citizens, we have to bring that to the table and then we have to allow Jesus, if he will be our Lord, we have to allow Jesus to go, uh, yeah, you can't do that. No, no, you can't think that. We definitely can't say that. Come on. That's, and Jesus sifts through so that we might be effective representatives of him. Jesus doesn't want any Americanized Christians. That's not what he wants. He doesn't want us to bring the American flavor of Christian. He wants us to be authentic followers of him that looks at any other way of thinking as entirely secondary and possibly unhelpful. And so when Jesus begins to talk, he begins to say some things about himself and his followers. And we're going to be going through several scriptures. If you're following on you version, then uh, then you'll see them there. If you're not, if you don't have your Bible open, look up here. But write down these verses because these are going to be important. John chapter 3 verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Should the world have been condemned? Of course it should have. I mean, was it any better than it was when it was destroyed by flood? Of course not. But Jesus said, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Why in the world would you do that, God? He tells us in the verse just previously, in verse number 16, when he says, because God loved the world. Now, I want you to think about an entity in the world that we as a nation have gone violently to stop and to thwart. Don't you think, who, who is that? Where is that? I'm not going to argue whether or not that was an evil group of people doing evil things. But do you realize 
the worst of the worst of this world, God loves them. God loves them. And you're glad God loves them because if God didn't love them, he wouldn't love you or me. Jesus said, I didn't come to the world to condemn the world. I came to save the world. Why? This world needs destroyed. Those Romans need to be knocked off their high horse thinking they can hold us down. Jesus goes, huh, I came to save the world, even them. Because I love them. And they say, okay, well, that's, that's true. I understand that. Jesus came to save the world. Good. But it gets much more heavy. Several chapters later, as Jesus is looking toward the cross in chapter 17, verse 18, he's praying. Jesus is. He's praying for his disciples, specifically those 12 that were there. He prays for them. And then he gets to a point in the prayer when he begins to pray, not only for them, but everyone who will believe in Jesus as a result of their testimony. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you're a follower of Jesus because the, the followers of Jesus communicated to you about what Jesus did and you believed their report. So now Jesus is talking about you and me. When he's praying before he goes to the cross, he's praying for us. And here's one of the things that he said. He says in John 17, 18, God, as you sent me into the world, so have I sent them. Now let that sink in. Why did God send Jesus? Not to condemn, but to save. Why does God send us into the world? Not to condemn, but with the gospel. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 9 in the most famous sermon of all of history. Jesus makes a statement that confounds the listeners when he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You know why? Because God is a peacemaker. And we do what our Father does. We make peace. He goes on in this sermon to bring the level up to even more confusing and more contrary to normal thought in verse number 38 of the same chapter. He says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes we, par we parent this way, right? You got siblings? And you go, what'd they do? Well, they, they took my thing. What'd we do? Well, we let them have a little, little experience of that as well. You did this to them. Well, they get to do uh, that's. He says, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Now think about this. What, what, what do we normally think? Second Amendment? I've, I've got something that will keep me from being able to be stopped by your force. Jesus says, don't resist the evil one. I'm one of you. Let that sink in. Don't resist the evil one. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also. 
I go back to middle school. You're not even letting somebody, Miss Terry, you know this is true, right? They're not even letting somebody talk about them over at Denison. One of the kids we were talking to, he's like, they're making fun of me. What'd you do? Well, I slapped them. Whoa, just talk it. Jesus said, if they slap you, what? Turn the other cheek as well. And that, that slap was, a, was an insult. If they're going to insult you, let them, let them insult the other side of you as well. Because what's that to you in the bigger realm? If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard it said you'll love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on who? The evil and the good. He sends rain, that's what you're hearing, on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? The tax collectors do the same thing. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I'm just asking you as I've had to ask myself, Let the words of Jesus sink in to the areas where we typically respond with violence. Luke chapter number nine. I like this one. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, this is Jesus for him to, and and Luke was talking about his ascension. So this is actually before his crucifixion. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He made up his mind he was going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to endure the shame and the pain and all that came with being the Lamb of God. He was going. His mind was made up. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans. Now, remember, the Samaritans didn't like the Jews. Jews didn't like the Samaritans. It was a racial thing. But Jesus was on the way. He was going through the arena. He said, hey, how about, go, how about some of y'all go up into that town and see if they will welcome us, if they'll open their arms to us as travelers on our way to Jerusalem to make preparation for him. Verse 33, 53, but the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Like, no, we're not going to open up our doors to him. He's on his way to Jerusalem to worship. We can't go to Jerusalem to worship. Let him find another way. We don't want him. Verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, I like these boys, when they saw it, when they heard what had happened, they said, now these are are good old boys right here. They said, Lord, you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? The reason I did it in that voice is because you know that's what a good old boy would say. Hey, Lord. So uh, you want us to call down some fire on their heads? <laughs> we like James and John, don't we? Like, yes. Bring the noise, Jesus. You're going to shut your doors to me. I'm going to rain down. No. 
but he turned. (laughs) Jesus didn't even turn and go, (laughs) that would be funny. What did Jesus do? Jesus turned and rebuked them. Like, Jesus, they deserve. How dare they? And Jesus like, I imagine he's turning and going, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Rain down. But they've rejected you, Jesus. They deserve to die. I love them. Morons. That's not what they need. What they need is me. They went another way into the village. Mark 8, 34 and 35. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If anyone's coming after me, let him deny himself. Remember what we came to the table with? The way we think, it's just, it's just normal. It just, it's who I am. It's where I was raised. It's just kind of the, the thing, I guess the baggage I have. And Jesus says, okay, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself. Pick up the cross that I'm carrying. Philippians says, let this mind be in you and me that was also in Christ Jesus. It was a sacrificial mind. It was a submissive mind. He says, set that aside and take up your cross and follow me. Take up my thinking. Take up the way I see the world around me and follow me in that way. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And then John 14, 27, again, just before his crucifixion, he tells his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I'm certain that Jesus was saying, I'm leaving peace for your heart because things are going to get crazy here in a minute. And you're not going to know what's going on. And you're thinking everything is failing and, and I've lost and you're in trouble. And I want you to have my peace. But I also think Jesus was telling them, I'm leaving you my peace for you to exercise as well. You're saying right now, well, what about when Jesus went in the temple? John 2, 13 to 70. What about when Jesus went in the temple and made a whip and started turning over tables and whipping folks out of the temple? That sounds pretty violent, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. He had a zeal for the house of God, but it never said he whipped anybody. He just drove out those who were cheating those and restricting others from being a part of the worship of God. So, yep, that was a pretty violent scene, I would imagine. Probably pretty loud, but nobody got beat up. Everybody knew what they had done wrong, and he made his point. And I'll go back to my first point of whenever God exercises any kind of violence, always just. But I want us to think about a few more verses before we move to the final application. 
Romans chapter 12, verses 19 to 21. Paul tells us, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23 talks about the the characteristics that the Holy Spirit is going to produce in the life of a follower of Jesus. What are the things that we can expect to be real in our life if we're following Jesus, taking up our cross, following him? He says, you can expect love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When I'm picking up my cross, when I'm following him, when I'm letting him determine how I operate in this world that I live in, which just happens to be the nation I was raised in, then he's producing in me the characteristics of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 15. Paul is talking about, interestingly enough, the whole armor of God. He says about the gospel, having as shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The gospel is to bring peace. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, slow, slowness, but is patient toward you. Listen to this. Let the fact that God so loved the world resonate in your mind where you hear that God is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There will be some who perish because governments have to do what God established them to do. But God does not wish them to perish, even though they deserve it, even though you deserve it. We live in a violent world. We have a Bible filled with violence. We live in a nation that was birthed from violence and survives on might. But we follow a Savior who calls us to love, compassion, peace, humility, and self-control. So, when we speak into the world that we live in, and and the context of the conversation is violence in some form or fashion, what are we bringing to the conversation as followers of Jesus? Remember, I told you last week, Corinthians 3, uh, I'm sorry, Colossians 3, 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what we say has to be in the name of the Lord Jesus if we're followers of him. So here's some thoughts that I want you just to think about. When you're living in the world you live in, whether it's school, whether it's work, whether it's play, whether it's a group of folks that you have a common interest that you're with, wherever you're at, When it comes to the things in this world that are characterized by violence and you come into contact with an unbeliever 
And there's something that has happened, a world event, something in our county or something going on or something potentially about to happen and it is just messed up. It is man against man and it is horrible. Here's how you can bring Jesus into the conversation. That thing is terrible. All those people hurting, all those people that are suffering, Anybody ever tell you that, that that's what Jesus came to address? That hurting and suffering that has happened throughout all of human history. It's a result of sins. Anybody ever even told you about how sin entered into our world? And, and this that we're seeing, is, it's horrible. That's what Jesus came to address because that is what comes out of a broken heart. And Jesus came to address that. And by that violent act of his death, he paid for that sin. He paid for that hurt. He's paying and has paid for any and all of that with his life. God raised him from the dead, victorious over that and all those who will by faith can know can know peace where right now there's only unbelievers whenever there's violence to be talked about whenever there's subjects to be entered into our unbelieving friends and neighbors can hear about Jesus our believing friends and neighbors we need to remind them as we're talking about these things as we're conversing about these things Our believing friends need to be reminded that none of those things are ever going to change by might, by law, by anything other than the transformation of the heart. And only through Jesus will those those things are going to keep happening because it's about what's going on in the heart. But brother, sister, God loves them. In matters of war, would Jesus delight in the death of our enemies? In matters of national defense, would Jesus boast in our ability to ward off any attackers? In matters of justice, would Jesus delight in the punishment of the lawbreaker or wish harm on the lawbreaker? In matters of civil rights, would Jesus ask us to lay down our cross so that we might take up our arms? In matters of simple bullying, would Jesus coach our kids in how to fight back? In matters of guns, would Jesus say to you and me, you've moved past just having them, you're living by them, and your thinking is consumed by them. Are we pursuing violence as a first option? I haven't even got into matters of entertainment. Do we delight in the things of violence? If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus was a man of peace. Jesus was a man of sacrifice. Jesus was a man of submission. Jesus was a man of strength and meekness and gentleness. 
There's so much more we can say and do. Here's the question. When you talk into the realm of violence, what do you bring? Your words? The words of our Savior. Who do you represent? Red-blooded or born again? Let's talk about violence. Let's just represent Jesus when we do. And I'm sure you got questions and I can't wait to hear. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the violent death that Jesus endured at the hands of wicked men. But because of all of us, we thank you that he endured that death so that we might be set free. Set free from our sin, forgiven, and be made right before you. If by faith we trust him as our Savior. God, I pray that you'll help us today as we begin to just now think on these things of what Christ said versus what I think. And I just ask that you'll help your people to wrestle, not with me and my ideas, but to wrestle with you and ultimately to allow you to point them toward representing your son, Jesus. I pray for that one who's here today that that might not know Jesus as their Savior. I just ask that you would draw their heart. Help them to see, help them to know that Christ came to make peace. Peace in my heart. Peace in their heart. And ultimately, he is going to make peace in this world. But right now, he's given us the commission to take that gospel person to person. I pray that you will help the one who needs to trust Jesus to come by faith. Help us who know Jesus to represent him well. So Father, we look forward to how you're going to move and work in us as a result of what your word says. Just ask you to give us the courage to be obedient. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.